Pushkin. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. Now is the time to bring new ideas to your industry. And T-Mobile for Business has the advanced 5G solutions to make that happen. We're helping rethink patient-doctor interactions with real-time data sharing. We're tracking carbon with 5G sensors to help fight climate change. We're partnering with cities to connect roadways, cars, and drivers to minimize injuries. Disruptive thinking deserves a disruptive partner. So let's get started on what's next for your business. Step up your innovation at T-Mobile.com slash now. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. A few years ago, I was thinking a lot about ghosts and music. I was writing a novel called White Tears about two young music producers who fake a 1920s blues record and put it out on the internet, pretending it's the work of a long-forgotten musician. Gradually, they realize that something horrible is coming towards them out of the past. While I was writing... I'd spend hours every day listening to recordings made in the years after the First World War. The characters in my novel strain to hear the sounds of long-dead singers and guitarists emerging out of the crackle and hiss. When you put the needle down on a record or press play on a sound file, you're inviting a ghost into your room. You're inviting a ghost into your head, into the acoustic space between your ears. I'm not speaking to you now, right here on this podcast. I'm not here at all. I'm speaking to you from the past. And what if my now, as I talk into a microphone in my rigged-up COVID recording studio isn't just splintered off from yours by a few weeks or months. What if my now is 50 years into your past? Or 90? Or 100? Am I dead? Or am I alive? Maybe I'm dead. But am I alive for you? I would sit and think about recording and time as I wrote my novel, with a pair of big closed-back headphones clamped over my ears. Late one night, I ran across this. (laughs) 
Maybe as you hear it now, in your now, it sounds familiar. Maybe it sounds like something you ought to recognise. It certainly tugged at my memory when I heard it, like pulling on a thread. The best way I had to think about this music was that it sounded like the outside of something. Something that wasn't there, like a cast on a phantom limb or an empty mould for a statue. A vacancy. I was hearing the absence of something. This music reminded me of a record that had scared the hell out of me when I was a kid. It was what they used to call a flexi-disc, a sheet of thin plastic that came mounted to the cover of a magazine called The Unexplained. On it were what were portentously called electronic voice phenomena, supposedly the sounds of dead people picked up by various kinds of modern audio equipment. The experimenter states that, in his opinion, man cannot grasp the events after death with his intellect or even with his intuition. A voice replies in German, Er kann. This is Into the Zone, a podcast devoted to the opposites that shape our world and how borders are never as clearly defined as we think. I'm Hari Kunzru. This episode is about something that's fascinated me since I heard those voices on the flexi-disc, the ghosts inside technology, and how they haunt us through signal and noise. And we're going to get to signal and noise via a place that at first might not seem very promising. A conference in Hanover in 1988. Hannover, Ah yes, Hanover, the 13th largest city in Germany. Hanover, site of a 1988 meeting of the Moving Picture Experts Group, an organisation founded to establish industry-wide standards for audio and video compression. This is Hanover. To set the scene here, in 1988, the coolest office technology is the fax. Steve Jobs has been fired from Apple for failing to beat IBM in the race to develop a personal computer. And Microsoft has released an updated version of something called Windows, which is widely considered a dud. There's Brandon and Julia. Your uncle has a new hobby at family parties, videotaping everything on his camcorder. The world of music is dominated by one futuristic format, the compact disc. Some 400 million CDs will be pressed in 1988. You can even get a CD Walkman, though a cassette tape Walkman is still much better for jogging. CDs skip if you move them around too much. The audio engineers at the Hanover meeting are there to hammer out a standard for digital audio. And they're haunted by one recent disaster the video format wars, in which two versions of the same thing went head-to-head in the marketplace. Betamax versus VHS. Both chunky plastic shells around spools of magnetic tape. (laughs) 
With the Betamax at your command, you'll never again be deprived of watching whatever program you desire at your convenience. You'll be free of the restrictions of time. Its uses are defined only by the limits of your imagination. But while you might be free of the restrictions of time, the Betamax wasn't. It could only record for one hour, but VHS tapes could record two hours, long enough for movies that could be rented from video stores, providing employment for slackers, stoners and pornographers around the world. So VHS won. But the format wars caused both sides to hemorrhage cash. When it came to audio, no one wanted to risk a repeat of that. Way too stressful. Far better to work out a standard. Question? Yes. How technical should I be? Um, I, I will stop you if I think you're getting too technical. How about that? Okay, good. Yes. Standardization, almost by definition, is not something that attracts mavericks or loners. If you're a cowboy or a romantic, go elsewhere with your horses and your melodrama. Standardization is a calling for people who want to get along. People who like to agree on how to do something. People who like to make sure that if a thing is going to be done, it's done in the best possible way, exactly the same by everyone with no argument. People like Karl Heinz Brandenburg. Psychoacoustics is the science really of hearing and viewing our ears and brain as a black box. In Hanover in 1988, Karl Heinz led one of the 14 teams who had competing proposals for an audio compression standard. All sorts of companies were interested in audio compression. TV and radio stations, telecoms, manufacturers of consumer electronics, governments... Carl Hines had started his career trying to improve the sound of telephone conversations. Now he was leading a consortium of companies from several countries trying to make their codec the chosen one. Codec, by the way, is short for coder decoder. These days a codec is just a piece of software. Back in 1988, most people thought the winning audio compression codec would end up as some kind of box a piece of electronic equipment that would be bought by labs and recording studios. I'm a fan of people like Karl Heinz, engineers who can work through problems and build things to solve them. This is partly because I'm not one of life's standardizers. I like to make things up as I go along. When I'm cooking, I'm the kind of cook who throws stuff in the pan, eyeballing quantities. You know what I'm saying. Yet without technical standards... Most of the things I do, other than cooking, I couldn't do. I couldn't record this podcast. You couldn't download it or stream it over the internet. The internet only works. The internet could only work because everyone agrees to do something very complicated in exactly the same way. As a species, we can't agree about anything. And yet we've agreed on that. It's incredible. The way humans perceive sound is also very complicated, as Karl Heinz well knows. Would you explain a little about the mechanics of how the ear registers sound and transmits it to the brain? Yep, of course, there are short and long versions of that explanation. <laughs> Maybe a, a quite uh, short version, please. Okay. So, as you know, sound enters uh, through the pinner and the ear canal to the eardrum. Then 
we got the so-called middle ear, eardrums, the ossicles, and then to the inner ear. And on in the inner ear, we have the so-called cochlea, uh, which is a little it is actually quite a long explanation. Carl Hines goes on to talk about how tiny hairs in the cochlea are connected to neurons, which detect sound waves and send signals to the brain. This structure, which changes sound into electrical energy, goes by the name the organ of Corti. This would also be my band name, were it not already taken by a trio who described themselves on Bandcamp.com as blues rock with an experimental edge. The actual organ of Corti in our heads functions as a kind of spectrum analyzer, separating sounds into different frequencies and telling the brain how strong each one is. So when you're trying to compress audio, when you're trying to work out what to keep and what can be uh, removed, what you're trying to do is to to uh, use these limitations of the human ear to work out what's, what parts of the signal can be removed. Is that correct? That's correct. In fact, a very simple way to phrase it is that we try to store only that amount of information which goes from the inner ear to the brain. Carl Heinz explains that the organ of Corti can only handle so much information. Not every frequency that comes into the ear gets perceived by the brain. If there's an additional sound at the same frequency, it doesn't change the pattern of moving hair cells anymore. It doesn't change uh, the neuron firing. So the other signal, which is fainter, gets masked, as we call it. Right, so this is, this is masking. One of the key things that you're looking for when uh, you're, you're trying to, to work out what to keep and what to throw away. Exactly. What to keep and what to throw away. This was the great technical question facing the audio engineers in Hanover in 1988. What they wanted to build was the very best and most efficient way to encode sound. One format used by everyone. It had to sound good, obviously, but it also had to be small. Because just like our brains, phone lines or radio waves can only handle so much sound information at once. Therefore, it's good to throw away as much as possible. If one sound is masked by another, great, just get rid of it. Being engineers, the engineers in Hanover had a very complicated formula for testing the competing proposals. The winner would need to be efficient and small. It would need to be simple to encode things and play them back. And of course, it would have to sound good. But what does sound good mean? The engineers weren't just reading off numbers on a chart to find out what sounded best. They compared different compression algorithms by listening. So the final judgment was always listening tests. So what were the uh, testers listening to? For quite some time, uh, the task was to find difficult pieces of music because the very first attempts to do music compression already worked quite nicely for some signals and sounded horrible for others. I had glockenspiel as one early example of sounding horrible. What was easy? 
easy was dance music. Like if you had a full symphony orchestra or pop group, which lots of sound, that was easier. So it's when sounds are very distinct that it's easy to hear the limits of the compression. Is that correct? Correct. And one of the most difficult uh, was Susan Vega's voice in her solitude standing a cappella piece. Tom's Diner. It's a track on Suzanne Vega's album Solitude Standing. Back in 1987, when the album was released, it became the epitome of a certain sort of unthreatening good taste. Yuppie dinner party music. Solitude Standing was the kind of record that people with new CD players would buy to showcase the performance of their hi-fi systems. This album went platinum in the US and it was even more popular in Europe. So it's not surprising that a CD of Solitude Standing was floating around in some European lab where engineers were obsessing over digital audio standards. So Carl Heinz and his colleagues compressed and listened to a lot of Suzanne Vega. They also listened to Tracy Chapman, Haydn and Ornette Coleman. You might ask why they didn't test their system on even more varieties of music. Well, because it took eight hours to digitise just 20 seconds of sound. The song Tom's Diner alone is two minutes and nine seconds long. That would take more than two days of processing. So they used tiny snippets, 20 seconds long, and played them again, and again, and again. We tried it and it sounded horrible. <laughs> really horrible. I am sitting in the morning at the diner on the corner. And this simple sound of a woman's voice, turned out to be one of the hardest to get right. The problem was worst with Vega's vowels. When she sang, she distributed sound energy all across the audio spectrum. The algorithm was designed to make a kind of trade-off. It could get one aspect of the sound perfect, but another would be sketchy. Finally, they worked out a fix, and those do-do-do-do's started to sound pretty good. I am sitting in the morning at the diner on the corner. I am waiting at the counter for The problem the was, when the scores came in at a later meeting, no one could actually decide which of the 14 competitors sounded best. The story of how it exactly went down is Byzantine and technical. All you really need to know is that the process got bad-tempered and finally there was a compromise. At the Hanover Conference, it had been decided the audio standard would have three different layers. Not three different standards, oh no. Not three different things, layers. Like a cake, a nice tasty cake. And one of the three winners was the version developed by Carl Heinz. Its official name was Motion Picture Expert Group 1, Audio Layer Number 3. Or, as it came to be known, the MP3. And the music industry would never be the same. Brought to you by T-Mobile for Business. Now is the time for 5G business. These days, we have robots that do brain surgery. You can ask an AI chatbot to write your term paper. But yesterday, as I was driving fruitlessly around the parking lot of my local supermarket, all I could think was, why can't someone come up with a gizmo that just directs me to the nearest available parking spot? Well, 
Turns out that's just the kind of solution that T-Mobile for Business can come up with. From smarter cities to safer industrial workplaces, 5G can enable a better, more connected world. And T-Mobile for Business has the network built for the way business and tech converge today. Right now, workforces are more widely distributed than ever. Industries are ripe for disruption, and tech is advancing at a rate that requires vast and secure connectivity. Offering the nation's largest 5G network, T-Mobile is the best network partner to take your business to the next level. Now is the time to business bravely and start building your future today. Go to tmobile.com slash now to learn more. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. As Carl Heinz Brandenburg shook hands and was congratulated for his work on audio compression, he had no idea what he had unleashed. He and his employer, a research lab called Fraunhofer, just wanted to sell some boxes of high-end electronics to recording studios. We sold physical boxes, and we license to companies how to build these physical boxes. But this was for professional use. We had software out there, and then some young guy from Australia used a stolen credit card number to buy one of these professional encoders. So he just built his own user interface, put our encoding library into it, put everything together, and he told everybody to uh, take off the software of their FTP sites. But of course, as you know, this has been the same until now. In the internet, you can't get things really removed. It's still somewhere. By now, it was 1997. The hacker eventually got arrested, and the MP3 ate the music industry. Within a few years, it had almost destroyed the compact disc. It cannibalized record company profits and made it harder for musicians to earn a living. 
1999, MP3 surpassed sex as the most searched word on the internet. By the late 90s, music was being pumped into our brains like a fire hose. Music fans like me could collect more than we could ever listen to. So much music. Of course, the technology was not without its critics. Do you know who you are? You're freaking Lars on from Metallica. I love everything you do, except for that bad show you hosted. You know what? Maybe I wouldn't have to whore myself out if you kids didn't steal my music. So that's Marlon Wayans and Lars Ulrich doing a skit at the MTV Video Music Awards in 2000. To me, the most interesting thing about the creation of the MP3 isn't the story of Napster or the iPod or whatever. It's about what got kept and what got thrown away. If you're compressing a song down to 10% of its original size, then what do you get rid of? Carl Heinz's MP3 algorithm separates sound into two parts, the wheat and the chaff. The idea that such a decision could be subjective is displeasing to him. But I wonder, can it really be objective? How do you tell information from noise? And what exactly is information? Is there like a living room or somewhere that's like <coughs> maybe a little bit more away from the yeah. drill? We could probably do with the knocking. I'm a little. I'm really there. sorry about this. No, that's all okay. right. It's not let's all. let's try. There's a room. Yeah. Down here. Let's see if, uh, if there's less. That's the sound of me, my producers Hunter and Ryder, and the science writer James Glick, trying to find somewhere quiet to talk in his apartment. (laughs) Slightly different drill. In 1987, James wrote a book called Chaos, all about the mathematical discovery of so-called chaos theory. Oddly, for a book about math, chaos was something of a countercultural classic in 90s Britain, People skinned up joints on its cover, sitting under psychedelic posters of Mandelbrot sets and talking about the butterfly effect, before their pills came on and they headed out into the fields to make crop circles. I don't know if James knows about his impact on the rave era, and anyway, it's not really what I've come to talk to him about. I wonder, it's louder here, right? Yeah, let's just go back to the kitchen table and we'll work with what we got. Someone, somewhere in James's building, is renovating... He says it could be several floors away, but because of the acoustics, the sound of power tools is audible wherever we go. It is, I suppose, a sort of cosmic joke that we can't talk without noise getting onto the recording, because I've come to talk to him about noise, or rather about the difference between signal and noise. This binary opposition is at the core of the modern idea of information, and James has written a book about it called The Information, a history a theory, a flood. It's obviously an old word, information, and you can look it up in the OED, and it goes back many centuries, but it, was a, it wasn't the kind of word it is now. It wasn't a common word, and it didn't refer to the stuff that we think of as information. The, the whole collection of sounds, words, images, types of knowledge that are encoded biologically, uh, we understand information as a, as a gigantic and extremely important category of stuff for us. And that began, I argue, uh, at a very specific moment of time. On the notes I wrote to prepare for this interview, one name appears again and again. Claude Shannon. He was a scientist who first introduced the idea that information was something you could measure. 
he published his mathematical theory of communication in 1948. The first time he defines information the way a scientist needs to define it, as a thing that you can measure. There's a unit of measure for information, and we all know what that is. It's the bit. Yes or no, on or off, zero or one, a very precise thing. Before that, the idea of measuring information didn't make any sense. It was like, uh, could you have a scientific unit of measure for happiness or for anxiety or for fog? And then once you once you've got them in bits, you have a, something that applies to everything else. You can start to say, how many bits are there in a book? How many bits of information are there in that painting? Does that is that a question that makes sense? As a writer, I think of myself as someone who deals with information. Though when I use that word, I'm not speaking in the mathematical terms of Claude Shannon. I'm someone who deals with meaning. I'm trying to make this podcast as meaningful as I can. When I do that, I think of it as being rich in information. But for Claude Shannon, it wasn't like that at all. Information had nothing to do with meaning. It is counterintuitive. It seems to us that if we start to talk about information, apart from meaning, you're just, you're talking about noise again. And Shannon's contemporaries also found this difficult to grasp. So he had to really emphasize that he had to say again and again that the content of a message was irrelevant to the kind of mathematical treatment he was creating. He was measuring the bit content of, of a given message, and that bit content didn't depend on whether the message was crucially important or whether it was just a lot of nonsense. Can you just say the thing about the signal? There was one sentence about the signal and information again, and there was a bus that drove by. Oh, ah, but what was it? Ex- the signal? <laughs> Give me a little more. <laughs> These interruptions are demonstrating what we're talking about. Is the bus passing outside signal or noise? Could it be both? I found myself when I was thinking about this question and working on the book, thinking about particular pieces of music, like a Bach prelude. I mean, I'm thinking particularly of the first one in, in C major, yeah, which, uh, you know, is on the Voyager golden record that's that's making its way to, uh, to, to other galaxies because... Carl Sagan and his committee thought it would reveal something about us as human beings. Well, this I, you ask yourself, how much information is in this Bach prelude? You play it, and the first thing you notice is it's very repetitious. It's the same thing over and over again, except that it keeps changing a little bit. And if you were Claude Shannon, you would say, well, I could compress this algorithmically because all I really need is the changes. The stuff that repeats itself is not new information. And as a listener, you also recognize the tension between these two things. You recognize that if it, that it's the patterns that you sense that make it beautiful. And it's also the fact that the patterns do not repeat themselves perfectly that make it exquisitely beautiful. 
Claude Shannon's revelation was that information is a measure of complexity. So you can assign it a number. But being complex is not the same as being meaningful. Things can be complex and meaningless, as anyone alive in 2020 can attest. When it comes to sounding good, let alone aesthetic beauty, it's not about information. Shannon leaves us cold. He, he leaves us empty uh, for exactly that reason, that he tried to remove the human element from the equation. He explicitly removed meaning from the equation, and meaning is what we want. Meaning is what we are desperate for. So how do we find it? Meaning is what we're desperate for. And James Glick's main question is, how do we find it? I've always thought of meaning as something you make. For example, through words and stories. But maybe meaning is now something we have to reclaim from our algorithms. Brought to you by T-Mobile for Business. Now is the time for 5G business. These days, we have robots that do brain surgery. You can ask an AI chatbot to write your term paper. But yesterday, as I was driving fruitlessly around the parking lot of my local supermarket, all I could think was, why can't someone come up with a gizmo that just directs me to the nearest available parking spot? Well, it turns out that's just the kind of solution that T-Mobile for Business can come up with. From smarter cities to safer industrial workplaces, 5G can enable a better, more connected world. And T-Mobile for Business has the network built for the way business and tech converge today. Right now, workforces are more widely distributed than ever. Industries are ripe for disruption, and tech is advancing at a rate that requires vast and secure connectivity. Offering the nation's largest 5G network, T-Mobile is the best network partner to take your business to the next level. Now is the time to business bravely and start building your future today. Go to tmobile.com slash now to learn more. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. 
Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. The listening tests for the MP3 were done in Germany. And so they were... Um, predominantly engineers um, and I think mostly white uh, sort of German men, mm-hmm. uh, professional uh, sort of audio professionals. This is Ryan McGuire, a composer based in Chicago. It was his ghostly music that I found on the internet a few years ago while I was writing my novel White Tears. His music is what led me down the rabbit hole of audio compression and the MP3. Ryan's obsessed with the early listening tests that led to the MP3, all those German engineers with their CDs. I don't think it was particularly systematic, but the the songs for um, the MP3 listening tests, the, the early MP3 listening tests, you can tell that they were trying to have a sort of breadth of material so you have Tom's Diner by Suzanne Vega, which is, you know, solo, unaccompanied, acapella, vocal. Then you have sort of an acoustic pop song, Fast Car by Tracy Chapman. You have a, a trumpet excerpt from Haydn's Trumpet Concerto. And you have, surprisingly, you have an excerpt from Ornette Coleman's In All Languages. So you have even some jazz. The remaining songs were sort of test audio files. There was one of a clave and a couple of others. So um, it, it doesn't sound like there was there's anything with with kind of complicated percussion or a lot of bass. Those would both be things that I would I would have thought might be quite difficult for a uh, a coding system to to handle. You you're exactly right. Obviously all of those recordings are major label recordings. Um done to sort of high fidelity standards. Uh, You know, they didn't test any punk records. There's no hip hop or like dance music or something that has um, a a lot of emphasis on bass. There's not a lot of the grittiness that many listeners value in rock and roll or blues, that raw feeling. There is sort of a tension there between different aesthetic value systems. Would it be too much to say that the MP3 would be different if uh, different people had been in the listening tests and different music had been chosen to test with? No, I don't think that's too much to say. I am sitting in the morning at the diner on the corner. I am waiting at the counter for the man to pour the coffee. and he. It's still hard to remember when you're humming along to Tom's diner enjoying the intimacy of Suzanne Vega's voice, that it's totally reconstructed. This is an MP3, a thing made out of code. It's an artifact produced according to a set of technical and aesthetic specifications by a group of audio engineers. And I look the other way as they are kissing their hellos and I'm pretending not to see them and instead I pour the milk. Audio compression exists at the border, 
where objective perception becomes subjective taste. It's where the physics of sound shades into what sounds good to a particular person, with their own likes and dislikes, and a particular culturally defined idea of what good sound sounds like. What gets kept is simple. It becomes the MP3 of Tom's diner. But what happens to the rest, the parts that get thrown away? Ryan wanted to hear those parts, so he set about rescuing them from oblivion. He wanted to hear what kind of music he could make from the scraps. If you've ever compressed something, made an MP3 yourself, there are a range of different settings. So you can set the bit rate and you can decide how the stereo encoding is done. I started by just compressing Tom's Diner in, you know, in all the different ways that I could and comparing, uh, you know, listening to the differences, uh, how they sounded. And then uh, inverting them, basically measuring them uh, against the original uncompressed audio and subtracting and finding the difference finding, you know, what was left out when it went down to this compressed form. The, the material that I found most interesting ended up being, you know, when you had the highest quality MP3 compression settings. That lost material was very sort of wispy, spectral, and just, yeah, very evocative. In Ryan's music, we hear the shape of something that's not there. It's everything we don't hear in the MP3 version of the song, the version that pops up instantly when we click on the track and pipe it into our organs of Corti. So much has been left behind. There's always someone doing the listening. You, on your commute or folding your laundry, listening to me, speaking into a microphone, conveying information out of the past. I sound good to you, or I don't. Maybe you feel like something's lost. Something just out of reach. It is always nice to see you, says the man behind the counter To the woman who has come in, she is shaking her umbrella And I look the other way as they are kissing their hellos And I'm pretending not to see them And instead I pour the milk I open up the paper, there's a story of an actor Who had died while he was drinking, it was no one I had heard of And I'm turning to the horoscope, and looking for the funnies When I'm feeling someone watching me, and so I raise my head There's a woman on the outside, looking inside, does she see me? No, she does not really see me, cause she sees her own reflection And I'm trying not to notice that she's hitching up her skirt and while she's straightening her stockings her hair has gotten wet oh 
this rain, it will continue through the morning as I'm listening to the bells of the cathedral. I am thinking of your voice and of the midnight picnic once upon a time before the rain began. And I finish up my coffee and it's time to catch the train. Here, trapped inside my MP3, I find strange memories coming to the fore. And other people's strange memories too. We had live animals of all the different plagues, snakes, rats crickets to stand for locusts and uh, toads. Joe had his gear for exploding and uh, it, it just was just complete chaos. Chaos and art and philosophy from the golden age of cyberspace. That's next time on Into the Zone. Into the Zone is produced by Ryder Alsop and Hunter Braithwaite. Our editor is Julia Barton. Mila Bell is our executive producer. Martin Gonzalez is our engineer. Music for this episode composed by Spatial Relations. Our theme song is composed by Sarah K. Pedinotti, also known as Lip Talk. Special thanks to Jacob Weisberg, Heather Fain, John Schnars, Maya Koenig, Carly Migliori, Eric Sandler, Emily Rostick and Maggie Taylor. Into the Zone is a production of Pushkin Industries. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider letting others know. The best way to do this is by rating us on Apple Podcasts. You could even write a review. And for a Spotify playlist of songs that inspired this episode, you can find me on Twitter at, at Harry Kunzru. I'm no one I had heard of. Harry Kunzru. See you next time. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Did you catch Season 3 of This is Digital? Season 3 of This is Digital goes behind the scenes to reveal how digital trends show up in everyday decisions and actions, including digital lessons from the EV revolution and the chief digital officer's role in disruption and culture, featuring guests like Ekta Chopra of Elf Beauty and Tyson Jomini of J.D. Power. Do you have a digital mindset? Find out by checking out the latest and greatest on Season 3 of This is Digital and learn more at westmonroe.com.